I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, Netflix unveils a new superheroish action movie starring Charlize Theron. It's called The Old Guard. We've got a review. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Like millions of others, I finally got to see what all the fuss was about with Hamilton. I'll have a review of that a little later. And the host of The Amazing Race debuted a new reality show on Global on Wednesday. We'll tell you about Tough as Nails. And first, as we said, Charlize Theron stars in a new violent action movie on Netflix called The Old Guard. You've got questions, kid. I get it. I need you to get back in the car, please. This isn't real. You haven't figured this out yet. You can't die. Get up. Can you please not do that again? The Old Guard is based on a comic book, which I didn't know or forgot going in, but you clue in pretty quickly given the basic premise of the movie. Charlie Saren is the head of a group of mercenary types who are immortal. They've been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, fighting crime all the time. They get shot, their wounds heal up like Wolverine, and they live to fight another day. It's never explained why, and that's a big question they ask themselves. It's also shown to be as much of a curse as it is a blessing. I have the new one. And? She stabbed me, so I think she has potential. <laughs> so how old are you? We met in the Crusades. The Crusades? We killed each other many times. We fought thousands of battles side by side. So we really never die. Nothing that lives, lives forever. One day your wounds just don't heal up anymore. We don't know when. That is a lot to understand. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop hurting. <laughs> in fact, the real main objective is not to be found out and caught fearing life imprisonment. They show how horrible this could be with the example of a fallen colleague hundreds of years ago whose fate is just about the worst thing you could imagine. It reminded me of something the show Alias did years ago. A, a bad guy finds out how to make himself immortal but then gets trapped under a boulder when a cave collapses and has to spend eternity alone trapped under the rock in the cave. Eternity is a long time when you have no one to talk to and you can't move. But back to Old Guard where Charlize's gang of four encounters this new immortal, a young U.S. Marine who gets attacked in Afghanistan and has a miraculous recovery. It's very helpful to the audience as this Marine, Niall, can ask all the questions we would ask and generally be used as the exposition fairy. There's also an evil pharmaceutical bigwig that's trying to capture them to try to steal their essence, I guess, and get rich off them. You've seen my research. Now you know they're for real. I need all of them, Copley. Oh. These individuals are extremely resistant to capture. We stop Merrick here and now, or he never stops coming after us. Everyone's still with me? Yeah. Joe? I'm very pissed off. Then let's go to work. This bad guy's a sniveling little twerp, very, very reminiscent of 
real-life turd Martin Shkreli, who jacked up the price of HIV medicine when he acquired a pharmaceutical company. He also bought that Wu-Tang Clan album where they only made the one copy. It was a very fun artistic endeavor on the Wu-Tang's part, and he ruined it. He's in jail now. The album actually in the hands of the U.S. government, who seized it when they seized all his assets when they arrested him. But whatever, back to Old Guard. So the stakes are pretty high as the Old Guard tries to survive and get some answers. It's pretty philosophical at times, but that might just be a polite way to say it's kind of slow at times, which seems strange because the action parts are so brutally violent, but I still had a hard time trying to stay engaged with this movie. I'm also not sure if the movie is cast the way it is because they wanted a bunch of unknown actors in the role or if they couldn't get known actors to climb on board. Outside of Charlize, the only big name is Chiwetel Ejiofor, and I did recognize the bad guy, but not by his name. Um, one of the four in her gang, Booker, at times seemed like he was very new to acting, and I'm not sure if he's the best they could get or what. Charlize Theron, of course, is dependably awesome, and in this, particularly in the fight scenes, uh, at this point the action stuff is nothing new to her or us watching her, but she really is one of the top-tier action stars at this point in Hollywood. I would say it's like her, Keanu, and The Rock. And she's good in any genre, which few actors can get away with. But honestly, when I think of Charlize Theron, I usually think of her in comedy first for some reason. I think her arc on Arrested Development 15 years ago had a big impact on me. But she's proven time and time again she can do action, comedy, or drama, and she always nails it. And while I won't give away the ending, it is set up for a sequel big time. I guess that's part of the comic book heritage that it has. So this is sort of an origin story. It was a pretty good time. I would say definitely give it a shot. It is, you know, just on Netflix, so you can turn it off whenever you want and it doesn't cost you any money. But overall, I don't think it's something I'd really uh, run back to in a hurry. Three couch cushions out of five for the old guard. Brett, what say you? I uh, I hate to say it, but I was kind of bored with this too. You know, it uh, runs around two hours, uh, so not super long, but uh, I, it for two hours, it really did not provide a ton of action in that two hours at least not as much as the trailer implied it would like when i watched the trailer i thought that looks really cool uh i mean when you see just the poster charlie's theron holding an axe like all right let's go let's check this out and i love the concept just love the concept about these immortal soldiers who are just kind of wandering their way through eternity helping people but i did not Love, as you referred to it, the exposition fairy. I, I, this whole, you know, the idea of introducing someone new into the mix, it just felt like a really tired and familiar trope to me. Hey, let's add someone new so they, by proxy, can make it easier for the viewer to relate to how baffled this character is by the whole situation. I don't know. I mean, I get it is convenient and it is helpful. And uh, as far as I understand, that's right from the comic books. It's not like they did this just for the movie, from what I gather, but uh, I don't know. I I just, I, I would have been more interested in the original four. Uh, while the movie is, as you pointed out, it is brutally violent at times. Not like gory violent. I was never, I never, I think there was one scene where I thought, oh my god, like I, I actually flinched and went, ah! Uh, where a guy gets dropped on his head. But uh, the rest of it, like, there's plenty of violence, but I was never really like turned off by it. But yeah, the it's violent. I also found the action at times was kind of boring. Like uh, there's just no visual flair at all to this movie at all 
Uh, I mean, Netflix has had a couple of big action movies in the last few months. More recently, they had Chris Hemsworth in that Extraction movie, which was not a bad movie, but it had terrific action, including this one scene that goes for, I don't know, almost 10 minutes. It's meant to look like one continuous shot. There was also that Six Underground movie starring Ryan Reynolds, which had some of the, honest to God, craziest action I have ever seen on film, courtesy of director Michael Bay, who only has one speed, and that's ludicrous speed to put it into Spaceballs parlance. This movie, The Old Guard, I felt like it just lacked energy, and back to the action not being all the great, like I felt like the action was a little slow at times, and maybe that's just the editing, or maybe it wasn't punchy enough. Like, the editing for me wasn't punchy enough. Editing in action movies either needs to be like a John Wick, or a movie like The Raid, where it's longer shots and you just watch as the action plays out because they're that good at it, on screen, or it has to be lightning fast, like a Jason Bourne kind of movie, and this was neither, and I felt like some of the fight scenes, it just, it looked like you could almost hear them say, all right, punch left, punch right, one, two, you know, it was very, just, it looked rehearsed, and you could tell, but as you pointed out, Charlize Theron, regardless of how rehearsed it looks, uh, she's great, she's awesome, Charlize Theron is one of my favorites, and uh, there, I liked that little twist at the end that pretty much, as you pointed out, begs for a sequel and potential franchise. Also, uh, I really liked how well all of these characters were developed. Like, I really cared about each of these characters, even Shuatel Ejiofor, who had a small role but a vital role, and you really felt the emotion behind his motivation. He was great. I despised the villain. Just despised him. Instantly despised him. So, like, that's just good writing and good acting from the entire cast. You know, even uh, there was, uh, so the, the other characters were, there was Booker, Nikki, uh, Joe, Joe and Nikki. So we, we learn uh, of their connection and like it was just a very quick couple of lines of dialogue but it was really touching so i think they did a great job with that stuff so the material is good it just needs more action so i'm gonna say this movie is good not great three couch cushions out of five for the old guard they're going to lock us up and weaponize us but they've never faced an army like ours an army of five If we can unlock their genetic code, the entire world will be begging us for the key. You shouldn't have done that. We don't have all the answers. But we do have purpose. Up next, we'll tell you what else is new this weekend. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. There's a new reality show that debuted this week starring the host of The Amazing Race. It debuted Wednesday on Global. It's called Tough as Nails. These are the hardworking people that keep things running. You are all tough as nails. Six men and women, the best of the best in their chosen trade. I melt metal together and we keep the world going. I am an iron worker. They'll be competing in real-world challenges. Going to be picking up 3,000 pounds of sand. Ain't no giving up. Time to go to work! 
tough as nails. New series Wednesday, July 8th on Global. So here's the description. Inspired by executive producer and host Phil Kogan's working class family, Tough as Nails is about competitors who consider the calluses on their hands a badge of honor. They are tested for their strength, endurance, agility, and mental toughness in challenges that take place in the real world. One by one, they are eliminated until the winner is named. The series proves that toughness comes in all shapes and sizes as it celebrates Americans who don't think twice about working long, hard hours and getting their hands dirty to keep their country running and i i think i really first discovered that this was a thing because while i was watching the old guard on wednesday night on netflix suddenly like i I think i pressed pause and uh, then a couple of seconds later there's phil on my tv but it still had like the netflix logo like something weird happened where netflix and my cable blended together into one feed Uh, and i thought hey this show looks kind of fun so if you if you missed it and you want to check that out you should be able to find that on your global TV app or on demand. As far as The Amazing Race is concerned, season 32 is in the can already. It was filmed in late 2018. It was set to debut on May 20th, but they pushed it to this fall as a safety net because CBS is going to need some programming. So that means it will air almost two years after it finished filming. So imagine being the winners of that season, having to sit on that secret. Season 33, meanwhile, was in production. They had to halt it in late February after shooting three episodes. Um, No word on when that is going to resume. So there you go. That's the toughest nails and amazing race news and uh, we told you that the old guard brand new movie on netflix this weekend what else we got this weekend on netflix uh we've got a show called stateless uh kate blanchett co-created and co-starred it's a six-part suspense drama that follows four people from different backgrounds who meet in an immigration detention center in australia again it's called stateless it's out now I was also pleasantly surprised this week when I got a notification from Netflix that season four of The Protector is back. That's actually, that started uh, Thursday, July 9th. And I also learned that it's the final season of this fantasy drama about members of an ancient order sworn to protect Istanbul from supernatural menaces. And uh, it's uh, a show that I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years. And it's got some pretty solid action and... uh, I like the fact that it is uh, like it's filmed in Turkey. Like the, the the some of the settings and locales that they use are just awesome. Like it's just I, I, one of the reasons why I enjoy watching shows from from different lands, Jeff, because we get introduced to cultures and stuff that we don't yeah. normally see in a typical Hollywood uh, production. Um, also out on Netflix this weekend is Down to Earth with Zac Efron. So if you're wondering, if you've ever wondered what the couch potatoes look like, think of Zac Efron, uh, turn them inside out, and that's what we look like. Okay. Accurate. <laughs> He's pretty. We're not. The high school musical star travels around the world in search of healthy lifestyles that won't destroy the planet. He's accompanied by Darren Olean, who's the founder of a lifestyle brand called Super Life. So if you like Zac Efron, actually, if you like a travel log show, that might be something worth checking out, too. And there's something called The Epic Tales of Captain Underpants in Space. So this is actually the fourth season of Netflix's The Epic Tales of Captain Underpants, but it takes place in space. I know those Captain Underpants uh, books, I believe, are... That is a series of books, right? I don't know my kids' stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's right. Because they did a a feature film on Captain Underpants. And uh, yeah, so the books are very popular. That's right. Okay, just took me a second to connect those dots. 
shots. And then there's something else for the family, too, here. Yep, it's called Hello Ninja, and it's actually season three, where two kids and their cat continue to turn into ninjas in this animated preschool series. That makes me wish I was a little kid so I could watch that. Just watch it anyway. What's stopping you from watching a cartoon? But but be a little kid and be that into it the way a little kid goes like this. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. I actually, uh, you know what I saw? Uh, You probably got the notification too. Netflix unveiled trailer for... Uh, the war Transformers: The War for Cybertron, I think is what it was called, and yeah. uh, it's like an anime Transformers thing, and it looks awesome. It's going to be, I think, a trilogy of animated films in the anime style. So that looks wild. Mm. I'll have to be watching cool. that. Uh, two more things, Jeff. You mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It's the Brazilian version of da- it's dating around Brazil, the reality dating series in its most basic form. Single p- person goes on a bunch of blind dates and then finds out or picks a match at the end to go on a second date and then uh, one more show here it's called the 12 it's a 10 episode courtroom drama about a controversial murder trial and the jurors who are asked to decide the case and the twist here is that it's from belgium yeah it's nice yeah so lots of cool stuff here and in one of our next two segments, I should give you an update. On uh, I mentioned that I'm watching this show, The Protector, which is out of Turkey. Well, I've been hooked on a show out of Germany, season two of Dark. I completed it this week because season three just came out a couple of weeks back. I'll tell you how that's going. But up next, Jeff dug his heels into Hamilton. We'll find out if it's all about the Hamiltons in a moment on the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and like millions of others, I finally got to take a look this past week at Hamilton. trusted him me i loved him and me i'm the damn fool that shot him there's a million things i haven't done just to pay what's your name man alexander hamilton the highly acclaimed Broadway play debuted on Disney Plus last weekend. It was supposed to come out in movie theaters later this year, but the pandemic put an end to that. Creator and star Lin-Manuel Miranda made the deal with Disney to get it out there so people could see it right now. Disney paid him $75 million, and all they wanted in return was for him to bleep out two F-bombs. Worked out well for everyone, especially those of us here in the Great White North who haven't had a chance to go to New York City to see it. There was a version play in Toronto. I had friends who were supposed to go to see that in April, but of course couldn't. Uh, but there's not yet been a touring version that's crossed the country or anything, so we all finally got to see what all the hype was about, and I must say, I was very impressed. I went in trying to keep an open mind because I don't really like musicals and I don't really like history lessons, especially, you know, the political history of another country. And Hamilton, of course, is both. It is the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of the United States 
States of America, how he became involved in the politics of his brand new country and the effects it had on him personally, and of course the nation. And then near the end, of course, there's his famous duel with rival Aaron Burr. That's probably the one thing about Hamilton people actually do know about before this play came out. There's a bit of controversy right now in that the show does not point out that he was a slave owner, as was very common at the time. I am not going to defend that omission, but it is a two and a half hour production and it skips a lot of things in his life. But in the current climate, that's a pretty glaring omission. And Miranda even agrees, he says, he crammed as much as he could into the two and a half hours and that the criticisms of what he left out is fair. As for what is there, I'd say it's pretty spectacular. Miranda makes the mundane, obtuse, and impenetrable subject matter soar. And he does it with what I gather is a new style for Broadway. He didn't write a bunch of show tune type songs that you're used to seeing in musicals like Tomorrow from Annie. He wrote hip hop songs and it's very effective. For starters, the songs are incredibly dense. You have to pay very close attention to take it all in. That might be a problem for some. I know I had to turn the subtitles on right away. It's not just the density either. It's that there's, you know, a lot of names and historical and political things, things I needed the subtitles so I could really follow along and keep track. Uh, I just can't imagine people who saw this one time on Broadway really got 100% of it down. But it is jaw-dropping to consider the effort that Lin-Manuel Miranda put into writing this show. The songs are catchy, clever, informative, and entertaining, and all at the same time. It's almost like he was thinking, I'm going to take something incredibly boring and see if I can make it incredibly entertaining. I think it was actually more that he discovered that Alexander Hamilton's life was really more interesting than anyone really was aware. Um, as a movie experience, I was also very impressed. They cut to enough different angles and things to give it a bit more zip than if it was just a stationary wide shot of the stage. It helps cross that divide between being there live in the audience and being at home on your couch. They're different experiences still, for sure, but the way they filmed it brings you into it more than a solitary shot of the stage would, so that was nice. The cast is outstanding. Again, I'm just impressed with the fact that they could memorize everything here. Uh, and to perform it eight times a week or whatever they do on Broadway, that blows my mind too. But that, uh, the theater people, they've got an endurance to them that does blows my mind. David Diggs and Leslie Odom Jr. as Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr are probably the highlights for me, as well as Philippa Sue, who plays Hamilton's wife, Eliza, especially her final song right at the end of the play, which has quickly become my favorite song of the whole thing. It's a powerful ending that is everyone in tears. I've watched it, uh, just that ending, a few times this week, and I've cried every single time. Jonathan Groff as King George is also something to see. There have been articles written in the past week about how wet his performance is, but hey, you got to belt it out there to make sure the people in the back can hear it, right? I think he surprised me the most only because I've only seen that guy in the show Mindhunter on Netflix, and he's very quiet and a bit of a drip in that show, which is the very opposite of King George in this play. And then there's Lin-Manuel Miranda as Alexander Hamilton. I, I guess he's technically the weak spot. He doesn't have the strongest voice is probably the more correct thing to say, but I also think I'd rather see him in that part than anyone else as he did write the play and should therefore have the best grasp of the material. It's two and a half hours long, which is long, and I bet it feels like you're getting your money's worth when you see it live in theater like that. There's an intermission halfway through, the lights dim, the counter appears on the screen, it just counts down for one minute, but I hit pause and took like a 30 minute break. I was actually surprised how focused I remained throughout the play. I did drift a few times, so I had to back it up 15 seconds to rewatch what I hadn't been paying attention to, but for home viewing, I was a lot more engaged than I usually am with other things I watch at home. All in all, I have to say Hamilton 
lives up to the hype. I think I will watch it again in its entirety and probably fairly soon. It's never really left my brain all week. Four and a half. Coach Cushions out of five for... What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. All right. I guess I got to get in line and uh, get on board with Hamilton. It's not that I didn't want to see it. I've wanted to see the the stage production for years, but as you mentioned, there hasn't been a touring show yet, and there's no way that's going to happen anytime soon. So if I want to see Hamilton, I'll have to check it out on Disney+. Plus. couple of uh, thoughts there. One, it's interesting that you point out that Lin-Manuel Miranda might be the weak spot in terms of his, his vocal talent, but he writes such amazing music. You know, he did the music for Moana, that Disney show uh, starring The Rock a couple years back. And the the songs that he creates, like he writes such emotional stuff. So he really is a spectacular talent. Uh, Good for him for cashing in $75 million. (laughs) That is nuts. And, uh, you know, I, I think back to when he was on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He played such a pretentious pompous version of himself on that i really hope he's nothing like that in real life uh, i don't think that he is i follow him on twitter and i have for a couple of years even though i've never seen hamilton or anything i just i don't know why but i started following him and he seems like a very genuine and a very sweet guy okay that's good also interesting that the it's two and a half hours uh like how long is that intermission like a minute it, yeah, it just has a minute long. It says intermission and it counts down for a minute. And I think the point is you can pause it and take as long of an intermission as you want. Okay. I've, I was sort of tempted to even break it up into two different days, but then after like 15 or 20 minutes, I thought, you know what? I'll give it a few more minutes and I'll get back into this thing. Yeah, because a typical intermission, I think, runs 20 minutes to half an hour if you go to a live show. Anytime I've gone to a live show, whether it's a musical or the ballet, for example, I always feel like, but I, I kind of never want to go back in uh, because I think that it should be two hours all in, like from the start of the show to right through to the end, including the intermission, because that's just a lot. It's a long time to expect people to get up and leave and then come back and sit down some more. That's my personal opinion, but we actually had some experience with something that we took part in last year with that, right? Yeah, it was a well, symphony production, and one of the director conductors we worked with who put the music in the order he wanted it played together, and he made the first half quite a bit longer than the second half, and he said, he's like, people don't like coming back in and sitting for the you know that whole amount of time again so he always makes the second half a bit shorter here in hamilton it's 50 50 right down the line each half is the same length okay but still obviously worth checking out in disney plus this was a huge boon for them as well because their downloads went up 70 almost 75 percent that weekend uh the, the weekend of july 3rd when hamilton debuted of course disney plus won't reveal how many people watched it not just yet they're going to wait until they release their <laughs> quarterly results or something like that i don't know why these streaming companies are so Sneaky. hesitant yeah like this was clearly a monster hit, so why yeah. would you not release those numbers? Because when, uh, if you say that 100 million people watched it, and I have no idea how many people watched it, it's probably not 100 million, but let's say it's even 10 million, that's, that's going to make people go, holy smokes, I, I really got to check this out. When you, when you say, yeah, app downloads were up 74%, that doesn't... That, de- that doesn't tell people anything. Now, not that they need to see the hard number. To, you couldn't escape Hamilton on social media that weekend, right? So, 
Yeah, exactly. But it's the house of mouse and uh, no one tells them what to do. They're probably just keeping a secret because they know people want to know what the answer is. So that's a, that's a long-standing uh, Disney tradition of, oh, that's what you want? Then we're not giving it to you. Well, I will add Hamilton to the list of things I need to watch. By the way, I also need to catch up on a couple of episodes of Snowpiercer, which stars David Diggs from Hamilton. He is the protagonist, and he's really good in that. So I've got a couple episodes of Snowpiercer to watch. i got Hamilton. I've got season four of The Protector, which is out as of today, Thursday, when we record the show. But before I get to any of that, I need to finish watching the third and final season of a really cool show on Netflix called Dark, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the film world lost one of its greatest composers this week with the death of Ennio Morricone. His theme from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, one of the most famous music cues in all of cinema, and his work in Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns is his claim to fame, but he did a lot more than just that. Morricone scored more than 400 feature films. He was nominated for six Oscars over his career, and he won once for Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. He also received a Lifetime Achievement-type Oscar in 2007. The maestro, as he was known, enjoyed scoring movies, but never cared much for Hollywood itself, and I read this week he purposely purposely never learned English so he wouldn't have to move to California. Morricone died early Monday in a Rome hospital of complications following a fall in which he broke his leg. He was 91 years old. And this this man did the music for essentially like your like this is all your stuff, right? The good, the bad and the ugly. You love the Clint oh, yeah. Eastwood, you love the Quentin Tarantino. And Tarantino uh, made a fine art of taking Morricone movie, music from other movies and putting it in his own movies. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 2, there's the scene where uh, she's trapped, Uma Thurman's trapped in a coffin that's buried under the ground and she escapes, and the Morricone music move used there is something to behold. Oh. And also Metallica uses it before all of their performances. They play some good of the bad and the ugly music. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Since 1983. Wow. Some news this week on the forthcoming sequel... For 2018's Halloween. Dad, look out! The bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. He's waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out the wall! Get inside! Jamie Lee Curtis reprised her role of Laurie Strode, and it looked like the end of the line had been reached for Michael Myers when that movie ended, but they very quickly announced a sequel, Halloween Kills, which was to be released this October. Here's the teaser for that, which was just released a couple of days ago. Yeah, 
If you saw that Halloween movie, then you know exactly how it happened and why they are upset to see fire trucks heading down the road. Well, here's the kicker. Uh, the teaser ended with a new release date, October 15th, 2021. So I guess, you know, with the pandemic and all the uncertainty about what is going on, they just pushed it off to October 15th. So there's some news on Halloween. And with the remaining couple of minutes we have left, I just want to give you an update on where I'm at with that awesome Netflix science fiction show, Dark. Gestern, heute Morgen folgen sich aufeinander. Sie sind in einem ewigen Kreis miteinander verbunden. So this is a German TV show. Season 3 debuted on June 27th, and it made me realize, oh yeah, I haven't uh, watched season two yet, which came out in 2019. I watched season one right when it came out in 2017, and I loved it, but it is a very dense science fiction show. But I'm telling you, if you like anything to do with time travel, you got to check this out, because it is a real... Uh, mind-bender of a show. Uh, it's set in this little German town. Uh, it's a fictitious town called Winden, and it concerns the aftermath of a child's disappearance, and that exposes uh, the secrets of and hidden connections among four estranged families as they slowly unravel this sinister time-travel conspiracy which se- spans several generations, and that's why this is so mind-blowing, because you could be watching multiple timelines unfold all in the same episode. It gets to be really difficult to watch at times because there aren't just multiple characters, but there are multiple versions of that character based on however they however old they are in a particular timeline and the more it unfolds the more trippy it becomes and it it gets to a point where you're having a hard time following, but the payoff is huge in season two in particular. I'm only one episode in to season three, so hopefully I finish that this weekend, but I am enjoying it. And Jeff, I think as a fan of shows like Lost and Westworld, I think you'd really get a kick out of Dark. I think that I would get a kick out of it, and I've been tempted to watch it because uh, I do like the complexity of it all, except that, uh, as you say, it seems like it might be so complex that and dark, no pun intended, that I, I don't really... I don't. Summertime's maybe not the best time of the year for me to get into that. Something about the cold, dark winter where I can really, you know, take a deep dive into something that really requires you to get really involved. That's a good point. I really enjoyed season one, and I think I was in a, like I didn't mind watching it right away because it came out in December, I believe, if memory serves. But uh, season two came out. I think in uh, hang on, season one was released in uh, December 2017, and then season two. Uh, was in uh, June 2019, yeah. So I think I started to watch it. I said, you know what, I don't quite feel like it, but I feel like the sense of urgency now because season three was unveiled, and um, and I guess Google and its algorithms know that I'm watching it, so it keeps trying to feed me (laughs) news articles on season three. I don't want to read them. I don't want to know spoilers. i got to get through it. So, hey, that's all the time we've got this week on The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.